And today's teaching text comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified, and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is the word of the Lord. It was was customary for followers of Jesus over 2,000 years ago when they were trying to discover who also had similar beliefs as them. That when they passed another person on the road in their journey, they would say to that other person, he is risen. And if they were a follower of Jesus, the other person would say back to them, he is risen indeed. And it was with great risk that they would do this. It was at great risk that somebody would find them out and identify them and label them a Christian because of the, the, the temperature, the climate of society and culture at that time. Jesus had just been taken down from the cross. He had just been buried. Maybe he had just been raised from the dead. But for the next 30 or so years, there were, it was not exactly a great time to be known as a follower of Jesus. And yet they would walk down the road from one place to the other and say, he is risen. And they would wonder what would be coming back. It cost them everything. And I wonder if this morning, thousands of years later, in a day and age and society and culture, where it costs us nothing, almost nothing to follow Jesus. If we could identify ourselves, if we could put ourselves in the spot where we could rehearse in a way, but with meaning, these same words. And so if I say, he is risen, you would say... He is risen. This is good. This is good news. I hope it's good news for you. I hope there's some form, a shred, a little bit of hope or light in these words for you. But if we're also honest, then we'll we'll at least acknowledge that this idea of somebody, another human being, being raised from the dead is at least unexpected or at best unexpected, at least it's weird. It's both, right? This is an interesting and strange story. But before we get into the complexities, the nuances of Jesus rising from the dead and so forth, and the text that I want to 
to focus on. We also have to recognize that this is a special Sunday for us in our own culture. Tells us that we should show up to church. By the way, welcome. For those of you that aren't normally here, we're here every Sunday. You know where to find us. The doors are always open. Some of us get extra special dressed up. This is my Easter tie. You will only see this tie on Easter Sunday. You want to see it again? Come back next Easter. The truth of the matter is that rabbits don't lay eggs, but somehow a bunny has become the center hero folk like focus of of our culture today. The photo that you're seeing now is actually of an event that's happening in New York City right now. Do you know what it's called? Not somebody that was in the first service. This event is called Full Contact Bunny. Google it if you want, but it's a real event. You pay 25 of your own hard-earned U.S. dollars to attend. When you get inside, you can dress up like a rabbit if you want to. It's not, uh, it's not mandatory. And then you participate in different, like, gladiatorial-type Easter-themed games. Because, you know, small plastic eggs filled with chocolate candy is very Easter-like. I mean, I can't even imagine that first Easter egg hunt with the apostles that first time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Great. So, this event is happening... Right now, today is the last day, by the way. So if you, wanna, if, you wanna, if you don't have brunch plans or you don't want to sleep away your afternoon, you could, you could, you could check this out. But Easter's a weird holiday beyond the eggs and the candy and the Easter baskets and so forth. It gets even more weird when we actually begin to think about this person who claimed to be God, supposedly lived a perfect life, was captured wrongfully tried and convicted, hung on a cross, murdered, and then buried. And as if the story doesn't get, if that's not weird enough, right, the story continues to get more and more strange. He's rising, he has risen from the dead. Luke tells us that he's no longer in the grave. He's not dead anymore. And so there's tension for us as we wrestle with this reality that uh, there's this whole cultural narrative that tells us what this day is about. We wear pastel colors and we give our kids lots of candy and they hide, they go and search for eggs. On the other hand, we are celebrating and commemorating and, and worshiping this God who was once dead and is now alive. And the story continues to get more and more strange because eventually, we didn't read this in our text, but at some point, Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples, and he ascends, he just disappears into heaven. And the text tells us that we'll see him again at the second coming, at the second resurrection, when he inaugurates the new Jerusalem and the new new earth, the new heavens and the new earth. But there's a tension here for us as well, because even though this is a special day and we do all the right special things, somebody said earlier they were going to this dinner, a friend had roasted a lamb. I'm like, that sounds awesome. What's the address? (laughs) I'm serious, because I know what we're having. It's going to be amazing, but it's not lamb. No, no offense, Beck. I'm just, just, I realized I came off, came off weird. (laughs) If anybody knows a good marriage therapist... I might know somebody who could use one. Just... But that's actually, that's actually part of the point I'm trying to make. Is that we, we live in the tension of what's been promised in the cross and the victory of the grave, Jesus, on that first Easter morning. And the tension of what we experience day in and day out. And that the world tells us that this is supposed to be a special day. And yet somehow we still know that our attention is so often grabbed by other or lesser things. 
You know what I'm talking about. We come in here on a Sunday morning, and for maybe an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes on Easter Sunday, we, we, we try to focus our attention on godly kingdom things, on spiritual things. But the, the, the truth of the matter is that some of us in here have a job interview this week that we are so fixated on, we can't think about anything else. Some of us in here are, are so focused on getting that good grade or performing for that boss or that coworker in such a profound way that it's completely consuming everything in our lives. Some of us can't help but think about how we're still single and only 22 and how our life is coming to a complete end. Are you with me? I have so much that I want to say about that last statement. We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep going. We live in the tension of what our real life struggles, challenges, hopes, dreams, longings, what we think will satisfy us. And where we often find ourselves turning for that satisfaction. And the resurrection story this morning, friends, I think speaks directly to the heart of that. We have a clue here in this question that the angels ask the women when they arrive at the tomb where Jesus' body is supposed to be. You see, they, they've spent days. Actually, if you go back and read the last part of Luke chapter 23, you find out that these women are so excited. They're so ready to properly take care of Jesus's body that they've prepared all of these spices in advance. But because it's the beginning of the Sabbath, they can't go to his tomb. And so they have to wait. Can you imagine waiting three full days? Can you imagine waiting? That could be a whole sermon right there. Can you imagine actually just waiting I have an idea. I want to do something. We do it immediately. I texted you. You didn't text me back. It's been three, three and a half seconds. Could you, could I have, could I have time to read the text message, please? Again, another sermon. We'll just put it over there for another day. Three days they have to wait. Three days they have to wonder and ponder. Three days they have to sit in the defeat of their friend, their loved one, their savior, who has not saved them, but in fact is dead. Three days. Finally, the moment has come. Finally, they, of course he's still dead, but at least we get to do our part. How many times have you felt like you had, you had no idea what to do, but at least if you were active, you felt better? You can identify with how these women must have felt that day. They get to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. It's empty. There's nothing in there, just some cloths, and they're by themselves. And then suddenly the text tells us that these two angelic beings appear before them. And the question that the two angels ask, that these other beings ask these women, is why do you look for the living among the dead? I think that was a really kind way of saying, wake up. <laughs> what you're looking for is not here and it was never going to be here. And you were stupid and foolish to think so, but I don't want to be that mean. I think that's what the angels were doing. Like, why do you look? Why is the thing that you're looking for, you're longing for, that your soul most, most needs, it's not here? We do this all the time in our lives, don't we? We have this longing, this beating, this throb, this temptation, this lust, this drive to fill a need, to find meaning, to no purpose, to no love, even as Valerie was sharing. 
to know that we matter. And so we begin to hunt for the different ways that we can satisfy that need, that longing, that dream. I don't know what it is for you. I know the ways that I'm tempted to try to satisfy those things, to to find life. But ultimately, they're things that can only offer me at least temporary satisfaction, if not ultimately death. Some of us in this room have had the epiphany. We've come to the moment where we've realized that another happy hour is not going to satisfy. One more hookup is not going to make me feel better about myself. Or teach me about true love. That sacrificing another 90 hour work week just to get ahead is not actually going to make my life that much better. Now you can fill in the blank of whatever that longing, that satisfaction, that purpose or fulfillment is for you. But ultimately friends, aren't they just death and distraction and confusion? Do those things really create life in us? And because I sound so much smarter when I quote Brits with letters for first names, let's listen to C.S. Lewis as he talks about the idea of happiness. He writes, put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. That they could set up on their own as if they had created themselves. Be their own masters. Invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of men and women trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. And so I wonder, friends, this morning, not with any, not with any sense of trying to, with pastoral guilt, make you feel terrible about your lives. That's not the point at all but with a real sense of sincerity and invitation to consider the weight of this question that the angel asks the women in the empty tomb. In what ways is your relentless pursuit of the lesser things actually bringing death in your life instead of life itself? Instead of the thing you were made for, instead of the thing that you long for, instead of the thing that will ultimately satisfy you. And so will we have ears to hear this question? Will we let this question this morning sink deep into our heart? In what ways, friends, do you go running after, seeking, trying to satisfy your life's longings in the areas and the ways that will not bring life? It's a question that reorients ultimately. This is a question that redirects and shifts if we will let it. And I think it does so in a couple of very specific ways. I want to share them with you this morning now. The first is that I think this question redirects us from death to life ultimately. This question reorients the the women and ultimately the apostles, the disciples, as they begin to ponder the fact that the tomb is completely empty. Literally, there is no person there. Jesus is missing. Not only is he missing, he's alive somewhere. I mean, you see it even in the text we read this morning. The apostle Peter hears the report from the women and he has to go on a hunt. He has to go searching for it. He has to go on a journey to figure out where is this Jesus and see with his own eyes. It propels him forward. He can't continue to be the same. It helps us to understand that death is not the ultimate narrative of life. How many of us want to ignore that death exists? How many of us want to... to, this, This is so dominant in our culture, friends. Even just think about the way we talk about death. I was at the one year memorial service for the victims of the the gas explosion on, on 2nd Avenue and East 7th Street yesterday. 
It's a big press conference and a bunch of people were around and the family's victim, one of the family's uh, victims was there. And even in the dialogue, even in the language of how we talk about it, we say, yes, so-and-so passed away. Like we're so afraid of death that we, we, we don't even want to use that word. But here, what, what the angels are saying and what Jesus is celebrating for helping us to see in his own life is that we move from death to life, that it's possible to have ultimate life. Even if physically we die, this is the teaching of the scriptures, friends. This is central to the teachings of the Christian faith. You see, I think this question, if we allow it to sink in, allows us to understand that we're moving from the cross to the resurrection. We have to go through Good Friday. I love that our faith tradition is one that allows us to sit in the grief and the pain, the darkness of Good Friday, that Jesus was killed. That it felt for a few moments, maybe just a few days, like all hope was lost. That's good for us to be reminded that the cross was there. The, 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 the teachings of the Christian faith, friends, is that your sin and mine separates us from God. And that our sin had to be covered somehow. A sacrifice had to be made. And so Jesus stands in the gap of God's vengeance toward us. His wrath toward our sin. And he says, Jesus will take my sin and yours. And so when Jesus was on the cross, what God was doing in the spiritual realm was taking your sin and mine and all of humanity as the people that would say yes to him and putting our sin on Jesus' body, in his person. So that when Jesus' body was pierced and broken, when he gave his last breath, he was taking all of our sin, the sin of all of humanity, with him to the grave. We need to never forget that. But this question, why do you look for the living among the dead, reminds us that we don't stay there as followers of Jesus. That yes, a sacrifice had to be made. Yes, that required a broken body and poured out blood. It required death. But three days later, victory happens when Jesus is raised from the grave. And so in Jesus' life and his living and his overcoming sin, death, Satan, and hell once and for all, we celebrate life, not death. We are people of life, not people of death. This question redirects us in that direction. This question also redirects us from the past to the future. This question helps us to understand that our stories aren't completely and primarily rooted in what's gone before us and what's happened back there, but it propels us forward. I mean, imagine all of the disciples, the women, like we've already begun to touch, to, 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 to touch in, to empathize with their experience of like knowing all of the pain, the brokenness, the frustration, the unmet expectations all of the political undertones that were happening as well because they thought not only was this Messiah going to save them spiritually, he was going to save them politically as well. And all that's gone now. It's just been flushed down the toilet. It's finished. But asking this question allows us to remember that in Christ's resurrection, we do not dwell in the past. We are people of the future. Third sermon for another day. People of the future. We'll set that aside. Remind me later. What happened on Friday, friends, no longer holds any power or control over what happens today. One philosopher said it this way. He said that the resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing, Frederick Buechner says, uh, is not going to be the last. It's not how our lives will be defined 
And so maybe the only reason you're here this morning is because you have begun to believe that your story will be only defined by the worst things you've ever done. And I want you to hear this morning, friends, that the resurrection matters, and it matters because it informs your story that that way of thinking is broken and wrong. Not to prove that you're wrong, but to tell you that there's a narrative, there's another story, there's another way. That Jesus' resurrection has actually rescued you from the worst things you've ever done. And if this was a charismatic Pentecostal church, you would be going crazy right now. I mean crazy. I have no, what in the world? I am preaching my heart out here, friends. God, thank you. Thank you. God, res- God has rescued you from the worst things you've ever done. Wow. I don't know what else to do, Beck. I'm going to have to take my jacket off. <laughs> Loosen my tie up here. Here we go. Whew. The Holy Ghost. Get him, Lord. Get him. All right. Redirects us from the past to the future. It also redirects us from feelings to Scripture. This is so important, friends. This is so important. Okay, also, just a pause. Anytime... I say anything close to this like charismatic, it, what if, but and sort of stuff. It's not because you're not good enough. It's because I think we have a better future ahead for ourselves. It's not because you're not performing religiously the way I want you to or anybody else has demands. It's because I think God has in, invited us into so much more. Yes. And it's, it's, my, it's actually my job, my responsibility to lead us there. Okay, fourth sermon. We'll put that up. Just, just racking up. I got so much to preach about. You guys don't have lunch plans, do you? Um, okay. Redirects us from feelings to scriptures. I don't know about you, friends, but if you listen again to the text that we were just reading in Luke chapter 24, it's littered with emotion. There are feelings of expectation and hope. There's feelings of being perplexed. That word is there in the translation that we read this morning. They were perplexed when the tomb was empty. And then a second later, as soon as the angelic beings were present, what did they do? There was an emotional response. What happened? The text tells us that they covered their heads. They bowed down in fear. They were terrified. Is is being terrified an emotion? Yeah. Yeah. In another place, Peter, uh, we've already talked about this, is so inquisitive. He's so curious. He's so skeptical. Those are all emotions that I think all of us can identify with as New Yorkers that he had to go see for himself. He had to go poke around and be like, oh my gosh, this is true. There are other places where Jesus just shows up and walks alongside of the men uh, as they're journeying from one place to another. And suddenly they realize that it was Jesus and they were terrified in one place in the text tells us that they thought they were seeing a ghost. And in another place it says that they were amazed. So there's emotion all over this story. And there should be because there's real human beings interacting with this real risen Lord. And so if you've ever been in a position where your emotions were driving you, where your emotions seemed to be controlling you and dictating to you what reality was, raise your hand if this has ever happened to you. Even just this morning, thank you. You identify with the story, the people that are in this text, in this story this morning. 
And it's interesting, every time, I don't think there's a single time in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus is like, hey, thanks for finally recognizing that it's me, Jesus, you know, Yeshua, your Savior. Um, your emotions are all off-center. Let's, let's get those organized. Let's get those straightened out. He never says that. He never says, listen, get your act cleaned up. Get, your, get this whole thing together, this thing, get that fixed, and then we can talk. No. What Jesus does do, though, however, is he steps into the story. And as he begins to see how the disciples and the different people are interacting with him and emotionally responding, what Jesus does is he reminds them of the story they're a part of by reorienting, redirecting them back to Scripture. So he's, he's telling them, listen, you, 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 I don't think he's, he's, he's not trying to tell them stop feeling. I think what he's saying is feel, but also don't lose sight of the story you're a part of. It's a bigger thing than how you feel. How many of us could do well to learn this, this lesson this morning? To not be driven by our emotions, but to instead be reminded of the promises that are in God's word. The very foundation that we can build our lives on. It's profitable for life and godliness, the scriptures teach. And so Jesus is trying to redirect these first responders to scripture. To be reminded of the prophetic vision and, 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 and who he is and what his promises mean. Fourthly... This question, asking this question, redirects us from our circumstances to trust. And I think in a similar way, related to our emotions and scripture, so often you and I get distracted in the things of the story of our lives and how things don't always go the way we want them to. Right? A certain person's not giving us what we think we need or deserve. We're not getting the attention of our boss or we, we're, we got overlooked for another promotion or it's, it's taking longer and longer and longer to get the same results or maybe somebody in our lives consistently keeps dropping the ball and letting us down. Maybe we ourselves, we can just never quite get our act together the way that we want to, we think we deserve or we can. All of these different narratives play into this. And we begin to think that possibly our whole lives will be dominated by our broken circumstances. But asking this question, why do you look for the living among the dead, redirects our attention to trusting in God. And here's why. At the very moment when all of the disciples, the men and women of this story, began to think that they were finally headed toward victory, Jesus Christ is murdered and buried. And all hope was lost. I mean, so few of them were even able to stomach the very experience that was happening. And they all left. You couldn't find any of them. They had deserted Jesus. So the circumstances weren't exactly lining up. That's the definition of a bad day, by the way. In case you were looking for one. The guy that we placed all of our hope in for the the saving of the world is now dead. Yeah, sort of. Now what do we do? And Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell by rising from the grave tells us that our trust should be in God, not in our circumstances. And so in what ways, friends, do you orient your, even your emotional being, your, how good you feel or poorly you feel about life based on how your circumstances are going instead of trusting in the providence of God? That even when we can't see it, even when it doesn't make any sense, is it possible that God is still weaving through a thread of renewal and redemption and victory? The answer is yes. Yes, it's possible. Yes, that can and is true. 
And so while there might even be impossible circumstances in your lives this morning, could this question landing softly in your heart reorient you away from your circumstances and toward trust in God? This question, why do you look for the living among the dead, is a question that I want to sit well with. And I want to invite you to as well. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And before we prepare for communion, I wonder if you would just bow your heads. And we just make space for us to respond this morning in a couple of specific ways. The first this morning is that my guess is for a lot of us, for some of us, as we've been following, as we've been following after God, as we've been followers of Jesus ourselves, we've lost our way a little bit. We've begun to look for the things that would satisfy us in places where there's only the stench of death. And so the question, the answer to the question, I guess, of why we're looking for the living among the dead, the the answer would be maybe we would just stop. Maybe the invitation this morning for you is to redirect, is to reorient. Maybe it's in the way of death to life. Maybe it has to do with your feelings or maybe it has to do with circumstances. But God's invitation to us this morning as followers of Jesus would be to expect him to be the risen Lord and to pursue him because he's the author, the giver, the provider, the gatekeeper of life. In fact, if, if that's you, if, if you would identify yourself in this category, if you would say, yeah, guy, the circumstances have me down or whatever the case may be, I would just, I want to pray for you this morning. So if that's you, if you would say, guy, I'm a follower of Jesus, but this morning I've been distracted and I need to be redirected to the promises of God. I need to sit well with this question and seek Jesus first. For true life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. God in heaven, you know better than I do the stories that go with every hand raised in this room right now. And God, we believe that your resurrection is real and powerful and that your resurrection matters for today. And so, God, I ask that in your kindness and the power of your Holy Spirit and the mystery that goes with all of these things we're saying this morning, that you would cause your resurrection power to be real in each of these lives this morning. God, I pray that you would give fresh courage and, and, and risk and faith and belief, God, in each of these people's lives, each of these stories, each of these hands that are raised, each of these circumstances that feel impossible, God. We trust to you. And God, we declare with our lives and our raised hands this morning and our hearts turned toward you that life, true life, can only be found in you and you alone, God. And so we thank you for the victory, for the deliverance, for the freedom that's happening in our stories and our lives this morning, God, as we pursue you and you alone. In your name we pray. Thank you, friends. You can put your hands down. The second group of people that I'm guessing are probably present in this room would categorize or qualify as people who haven't yet believed in Jesus. And it would certainly be the the story of God to, to pursue you, to hope and dream and know that you, like Valerie was sharing earlier, or Catherine in the first service, or so many of us have come to encounter God's love in a real and tangible way. So I wonder if the 
the way forward for you as a not yet follower would be to ask the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? Would be that you would come alive for the first time, spiritually speaking. That you would, the scriptures are really clear, friends. It's, it's, it's really simple. The scriptures teach that, that in order to trust in God, we have to repent and believe. Repent just means that we turn away from trying to find life and the things that only bring death. That we would turn away from our sin and that we would fully trust in God. It doesn't happen perfectly and it doesn't happen perfectly forever. But it happens today and it continues to grow and build. And my guess is some of us in this room this morning fall into this category. Find ourselves resonating and identifying with this. You're exploring, you're seeking, you're, you're asking questions, you're curious, you're wondering... Maybe even some of you are so close, you're just on the brink of just surrendering and saying yes to God. And I want to pray for you if that's you. If you're on a spiritual journey and you want to say yes to giving yourself more to that spiritual journey, again, with nobody else looking around, will you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. I want to pray specifically for you this morning. Dear God, thank you so much that in your son Jesus we have redemption of sin. We have forgiveness for the things that are broken and undone in our lives. God, we have forgiveness for the things that we've done and left undone and that have been done to us. And Father, for the friends of ours that are in this room right now who are trusting you for the first time, who are taking another step of faith, who are, who are daring to risk and to, to expose themselves even in a way, God, we just, I pray for them right now that you would continue to protect them. God, I pray that you would help them to know your love. God, we pray that they would experience complete and total forgiveness of sins, God, and that today would be the day that they experience new life in Christ. In your name we pray, amen.